0: Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, episode number 16, sweet 16. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy. I'm your host for today. And today we have got a really, really exciting guest for you. Now, Jeff Deal is the owner of Chickadee's Diner in Irmo, South Carolina. Now, Jeff has a lot of hospitality and restaurant industry experience. He's owned many other restaurants before. He's also spent some time working on the corporate end of restaurants, and he's just recently, in the past several months, launched a brand new adventure here in Irmo, South Carolina. And so Jeff has asked. Uh, Jeff has come on today to actually share with us a little bit about his journey leading up until now and then the things that he's learned from opening this new adventure. So Jeff, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you with us tonight.
1: Well, thank you. I'm certainly pleased to be here. I appreciate the invitation and I'm happy to uh, participate. It's really exciting for me as well.
0: Good. Well, I am so glad. Now, I've given just a real small amount of information about you to our listeners, but how about you dig a little deeper and tell us anything about your history, your career, personally, even professionally, that we don't already know that might kind of give us an idea of who you are as a person.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, I've been in the restaurant industry, uh, restaurant business, since I was 15. First job was washing dishes at a Chinese restaurant, and actually it was worse than washing dishes. It was the pots and pans sink, so I didn't even have the uh, automatic dishwasher to use yeah. or the spray wand. It was uh, four big bins and hot water, and, and uh, I think that's where I first learned what a kitchen burn was. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that was my first job in the restaurant business, and as uh, it progressed, I started you know washing dishes with the automatic sink, and then I started busting tables, and I started waiting tables. And then from waiting tables, I went to bartending. And the family that I worked for opened up a Tex-Mex restaurant. So if you can imagine a, a Chinese family opening a Tex-Mex <laughs>
0: restaurant and the
1: challenges that That's, they faced,
0: I can imagine. We,
1: um, we, I started waiting tables at their new restaurant where I met a, a fantastic general manager from TGI Fridays. Um, and I really enjoyed working for him and, and learned a lot more to the point that I was invited to work in the bar, um, I was bar backing and spent a lot of time restocking the bar for the bartenders. And while I was there, I wouldn't stop talking to the guests. And so he said, "Well, as long mm. as you're going to be talking, why don't you just go ahead and start <laughs> bartending?" Now, um, of course, bartending naturally leads into you know working late and closing and saying, "Hey, would you mind mm-hmm. closing the restaurant?" And after that restaurant closed, uh, clearly, uh, some of the challenges that you have. Um, learning how to run a Tex-Mex restaurant after a lifetime of Chinese restaurants caught up with the owners, um, I followed the same general manager to a restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina, where they had a banquet facility and a brew pub and a fine dining second floor, one of Greenville, South Carolina's very first sort of iconic restaurants called The 858. From there, I met a gentleman named Carl Sobasinski who owns mm-hmm. uh, a lot of restaurants in downtown Greenville, and he's a very amazing restaurant Oh, how I could love you not the O is just incredible. I worked for Carl uh, before he started the the Sobies uh, business, and I went to him one day when there was an opening in the department uh, in the restaurant for a banquet manager, and I said, Carl, I'd really like to be, in, you know, um, interviewed for that banquet manager job. And he sat me down and he said, Let me tell you something. He said. You need to go to college and get your degree. Don't get stuck in middle management with a high school degree in restaurant business like I see so many other people do. Oh, okay. Which made sense. So, you know, I took that oh. to heart. And from there, I started looking at colleges and, and uh, I chose Johnson and Wales uh, Hotel Restaurant School in Providence, Rhode Island, where I spent two mm-hmm. years. I moved. Uh, Within the campus, they have a satellite campus or had a satellite campus in Charleston. So I went down to the Charleston campus to finish up. And from there, I went up to USC in Columbia, South Carolina, where they, uh, USC's uh, Gamecocks have a uh, hotel <laughs> restaurant school, um, which is now HRTA, Hotel Restaurant Tourism Administration. Um, okay. I graduated with my bachelor's there where I met my wife. She was also in the program. Um, And uh, upon graduation, I was working at a restaurant um, just as an assistant manager. I was able to take some of the education that I had and some of the street smarts as well and and a a big leap of faith and borrow a ton of money and buy a restaurant, the restaurant that I was working at, Saludos, which is still in Mm. business down in Five Points. Um, Very nice restaurant. With some success there, I was able to buy two more, um, Monterey Jack's and Hannah Jane's down in Five Points. And from there, sold those restaurants and opened up um, a restaurant in Northeast Columbia in Lake Carolina, um, which was a ground-up, brand new construction, beautiful new restaurant. And you know where I made one of my biggest mistakes was getting tunnel vision, opening opening up a restaurant without doing the appropriate research. And, and so mm. you know during the uh, during the marketing market housing crash of 2008, right. and being in the middle of a gated built community, you know we suffered a, a pretty pretty um, you know, tragic to my ego and certainly financially destabilizing um, blow when we had to close that restaurant.
0: Wow! Uh, from
1: there, I got invited to, by a friend of mine to go work on the corporate side in the human resources department, recruiting for uh, big brands Brinker OSI, um, who owns Outback and Chili's and and uh, okay. Macaroni Grill. And, and you know, from there, I progressed into a role with Hooters of America, where I was recruited to come work for them in a in a uh, in a great 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 job traveling the state and uh, some of the East Coast into other stores and doing training and and uh, opening stores. From there, I got recruited to go down to Charleston to work with the Charleston Hospitality Group. And you know, one of my uh, biggest accomplishments working with a company where I was able to develop one of a brand uh, within a brand of seven to eventually buy and, and now reopen. Uh, the Chickadee's Diner concept in Irmo, South Carolina, which is our newest uh, newest adventure in the restaurant business, um, sort of returning to our roots with a simple model after traveling all over from fine dining to high-volume bars to 4 a.m. closes to 5 a.m. <laughs> opens. We have just a nice little restaurant that I, I'm very pleased that we're operating successfully so far.
0: Wow, isn't it funny how sometimes things all come back to the where you started you know (laughs) the end is the beginning or the beginning is the end sometimes so now you have had quite a varied history between uh working for other people and, and not just that but even starting out at the very lowest of the low positions in the restaurant working all the way up to owning multiple restaurants and that sort of thing at what point did something light the fire in you to want to become an entrepreneur?
1: I think that's a great question, and I think um, no matter what business you're in, um, restaurants or gas stations or shoe stores, um,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: I think the entrepreneurial spirit um, ignites at some point in your life, You know, maybe when you're younger, maybe when you're at midlife crisis, maybe when you're 90. You know, I think it turns mm-hmm. on at different times for different people for different reasons. I think that um, what turned me on uh, initially about owning a restaurant was how I saw the ability to to influence people's experience when they weren't at work um, mm. and not have to have a, not be just another restaurant, another Burger King, another McDonald's, another uh-huh. you know Bennigan's, or you know all of the very successful brands. But have something that was very special, and I think that, I think that truly got ignited when I went to work um, at the 858 watching Carl talk to his guests, mm-hmm. work his crowd, meet people, connect people, build those amazing experiences um, that you can really, really execute well as an entrepreneur um, versus just executing someone else's plan.
0: Um, uh-huh. And
1: I think that manifested itself, you know, after working for uh, Richard Burtz, who owns Saludas originally, an amazing guy in, in, um, in Columbia, and he now developed a 701 gallery. Uh, but same thing, watching how he was able to affect the lives of not only guests but employees, I think mm-hmm. seeing that whole picture said, you know what, I need to own a restaurant because I want to do that myself.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, I think more so maybe in the restaurant industry than just in general business. It seems like, at least from your experience, you know, it's not just that you wanted to become an entrepreneur, but whenever you're in the restaurant industry, it's almost like you're signing up for serial entrepreneurship because you're opening one restaurant, taking it to its peak, selling it, or doing something else, and then... You get the opportunity to do it over and over again with different concepts and different styles of restaurants. I mean, is that is that what you felt like it was always going to be, is the one after another type entrepreneurship?
1: You know, I think I started off thinking that, um, <clears throat> and I think that's a very – now, looking back, I think it's a very narrow focus. What, what at the mm-hmm. time seems like an incredible vision is truly a narrow focus because – in my opinion, and learning the hard way, wanting to keep opening new restaurants, new restaurants, new ideas, new mm-hmm. themes, you know, um, feeds an ego, but it doesn't <laughs> necessarily, you know, build your revenue stream, and it right. certainly can drain your cash reserves if your right. ego gets too big. So, you know, I feel like I agree with you 100%. Sometimes it's hard to turn it off, mm-hmm. but your growth, I feel like, at this point, after making those mistakes, you measure your growth financially in your in the robustness of your PL, not necessarily the mm-hmm. size of the empire.
0: I see. Okay. So it's kind of almost a little bit of a, a shift in focus to kind of come back to, okay, this is something that maybe you eventually cultivate into more of a um, lifelong or lifestyle type restaurant where you're able to do it. For longer periods of time than some of the other ones.
1: Yeah, I that agree. Kind of, it, no, very much so. I think
0: and, I, well and I and I know, the the restaurant industry is so tough on people with families. You know, like you said, the four a.m. closings and you know weekends. You can't be off because you've got to be in the restaurant because it's your busiest times. And um, I, I can imagine that burnout among restaurant entrepreneurs is. Um, is is got to be among the highest in any industry so I definitely feel for um, needing the change and, and needing to kind of change the pace a little bit now what has been your biggest fear as you started out on your own or started uh, being an entrepreneur and, and getting buying your own business? what was the the holy grail of the fears that you had?
1: well i would I would say. Most entrepreneurs lack cultivating a fear,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: you know, in general, other than the fear of failure.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: the you know, am I going to have enough money? Mm-hmm. I know I know very few people that say, you know, what I've got exactly enough money. I don't need any more. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. You know, do I have enough experience? You know, what if I didn't think I had enough experience, I wouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, so I don't think entrepreneurs in any business question any of their abilities. I think they almost lack the ability to be afraid of specifics except I cannot fail. So whatever is yeah. associated with failing, I have to fix or face
0: Figure that. Figure it out. Um, yeah. So it's
1: either, it's either go big or go home kind of failure, <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. And that's that's what no one, you know, no one wants to deal with that because it it would be so hard on us uh, to pick ourselves up after that. Because that's that's one of those things that we're harder on ourselves, I think, than anyone else could be. Now, as someone who has run and opened, you know, different restaurants and worked in different uh, industries as far as corporate and different types of restaurants, um, how has your business model changed as you've opened um, this latest restaurant, the Chickadee's Diner in Irmo.
1: Oh, that's so – boy, you could talk about that forever. Um, But, (laughs) you know, in a nutshell, you try to take all of the positives you've picked up and all of the negatives you've picked up and, you know, utilize both of them for lessons learned. But specifically, um, as far as Chickadee's goes, our goal, our mission statement in Chickadee's, our market segment, our – organizing principles are all based around how our concept makes our guests feel while they are inside the four walls. Mm. We are not a price value oriented concept. We are okay. not a biggest bang for your buck concept. We mm. are not a concept that is health conscious. Um, we okay. have wraps. But we have also a three stacked triple um, French toast. We call it the Velvet Elvis Midnight Special, which has peanut butter, (laughs) bananas, marshmallow cream, blackberries jam, and bacon sandwiched between three big pieces of French toast with chocolate on top.
0: Wow. Um, So, what
1: we say in our mission statement is you know, we seek to provide an environment of carefree timelessness um, where our guests are exposed to an Epicurean and an engagement overdose. Meaning that when you're inside of our restaurant, we are all about the guest and what makes them feel good. Not necessarily cultivating a value driven price point or a, you know, well I can't bring my you know, my grandmother here because she can't have sugar.
0: Unfortunately, right, right. we'll
1: cater to your grandmother when she comes here, but that's not our target market. And I think mm-hmm. to Ken Blanchard's point, you know, of raving fans, yeah. we defined our window of of who we um, who we cater to and market to very specifically. And if you fall inside our window, we are exactly what you're looking for. And if you're not. We don't necessarily seek to bend who we are just to capture one or two people that wouldn't ordinarily come to our restaurants. It's okay mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're not for everybody, but the people who right. come here will have a great time. And okay. I think that's been a very difficult mindset to wrap my brain around because hospitality industry teaches us to cater to everybody and anybody. Right. And, you know, Seek to be all things each person. It's just impossible to do.
0: Well, you know, even when you when you set out to not be the the price driven value um, restaurant, you know that that in and of itself is a little bit. Um, I don't want to say it's it's a little bit of a mindset, but it definitely um, changes how you look at your competition, you know, because you're, you really eliminate, you're like, you know, we're not, we're not the price conscious model. So we're not the ones that, you know, are going to be able to get a, you know, all you can eat breakfast for four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. That's not who we want to be. But being confident in the fact that we're providing this other thing over here that will have plenty of other people that will appreciate it and will come back time after time after time, not because you didn't provide value, but it just wasn't even part of what your experience is supposed to be about, you know, and and the health thing, you know, that is something that um, I think a lot of restaurants are intimidated by and they feel like, oh, I've got to throw a, a vegan dish on the menu or I've got to, you know, I've got to do something low-cal and, and sometimes you don't really, you know, you don't do justice to it because it's really not your core you know your core strength with your business. So I think that's good that you know what your core strength is with Chickadees, and you just say, you know what, it, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a great thing. And just for those of you that don't know, Chickadees is kind of it's, it's kind of got like a '50s type, nostalgic type diner feel to it, doesn't it? Is it that is
1: what we? Uh, of- I've fortunately had a great marketing director who uh, wrote a great uh, description of Chickadees, and it says with classic red and white stripes, jaunty Mm. paper hats, and the knee-high socks and red shoes. The Chickadee's Diner uh, waitresses create a realm of uh, of nostalgic entertainment where the 50s diner style is captured um, with the chrome stools and the high-back bar seats, yet it's also different than other diners, whereas we embrace a more modern, uh, fair, and Uh Epicurean-style food as well as serve beer, wine, and, and uh, you know, bottomless mimosas from right, 7 o'clock yeah. in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, whereas if you go to a <laughs> typical diner, you're not going to see, not, you know, a bottle of champagne sitting next, to, uh, <laughs> sitting next to the pie case.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. You might see a milkshake, but not anything sure. else in it. So, sure. uh, excellent. So, yeah, I think being true to whatever your core uh, value is for your restaurant yeah. is definitely critical. Now, as you have kind of grown up in the industry or, you know, kind of gotten your own uh, businesses off the ground. Have you had any sort of a coach or mentor uh, that has helped you along? And and what's the biggest thing you've learned from them?
1: Well, I'd say I've had several. um, It would almost be like giving an Emmy Award speech if I were to mention Ah. them all. I mean, at any point Uh in your life, you can learn a lot from, you know, who's directly supervising you or supporting you. Mm -hmm. I would say um, my last, My current, uh, I guess, uh, employer, so to speak, that I consult with um, and CEO of the Charleston Hospitality Group, his name is Sam Mustafa, M-U-S-T-A-F-A, Sam Mustafa. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the CEO of the group, and he now is directing a multi-million, $15 million a year company comprised of what's about to be nine restaurants, um, which over the last seven years, he built from one restaurant where he stood behind the counter and did every single check at the register until it was big enough for someone else to do it. And then he got another one, and then he got another one, and then he got another one, and he got another one. And, another one. and wow. Sam's very passionate. He's very engaging. He's very intense. I mean, he's all business. But I think, <laughs> he's, uh, his, I think what has struck me the most about Sam Um, that I've tried to emulate and imitate is he kind of jokingly but deadly seriously says the marketing plan of my restaurants and the advertising plan of my restaurants is on the table. If the experience is absolutely perfect, those people will advertise all I ever need to advertise to be successful. And he stays away from the – radio advertisements and, you know, print advertisements Mm -hmm. and, you know, things that you spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I try to embrace that in chickadees, you know, and I had someone come in the other day and they said, wow, you really need to advertise. They said, I mean, if my neighbors had not told me about this place, I wouldn't even know about it. And I said, well, that's exactly how it's supposed to work.
0: (laughs) So it sounds like my plan is
1: working perfectly.
0: Brilliant. (laughs) Um, It starts
1: off slowly because you don't Uh get that huge hit where everyone knows about you. But everybody that's walking through the door of Sam's Restaurants or now Chickadee's um, has been referred by somebody who had an excellent or an amazing experience. And that Mm -hmm. kind of firsthand immediacy is nothing that any entrepreneur can say, oh, you can buy that easily. It's expensive, but you can do it. It's impossible to buy um, and I think learning that from Sam has probably um, trumped all of the other advice that I got from some very brilliant people who I learned mm-hmm. a lot from and would never say, oh, well, you know, when I worked for Richard, he wasn't as good as a mentor because Richard was amazing. Uh, Carl right. Silvatinsky, amazing. Um, David DeBolt, amazing. These are amazing, brilliant restaurateurs. But I never heard a marketing plan. You always say we want word of mouth. Oh, we got it. Word wow. of mouth, best advertising. But no one ever made the commitment to it in a definite way like Sam did. And that's probably someone that I, I really enjoy taking information off of, both positive and constructive criticism. He'll be the first person to tell you where you need improvement. But that's mm. because he wants his employees, his managers, his friends, Co-workers, uh, you know, and people that he that I can say, oh yeah, I work for Sam Mustafa, and it shows in my restaurant. People say, well, man, wow. I can tell you work for Sam. Um, exactly. That's something that I think I really appreciate from him.
0: Well, you know, whenever you have that very organic um, word of mouth, you know, the neighbor telling the neighbor or whatever, that really is how a business can truly build that that tribe of raving fans. You mm-hmm. know, that's they they become the next group that tells the next group and it's just it's so good to see that and it's a different kind of loyalty or uh you know fandom Than you would have if somebody had a coupon to come in, Mm -hmm. or if somebody responded to some other sort of special offer, or even came in maybe for a special event and they weren't really sure if what they were seeing was really truly representative of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I think there is a lot of genius in getting. That every, you know, getting the experience so good that that everyday person is going to tell their neighbor because let's face it, we all eat every single day. Um, and we go to restaurants now probably in our society more than we ever have um, and you So most of the time, you know, people aren't just struggling for, I just don't know where to eat tonight. You know, there's a thousand different options. So for it to be on the lips of somebody, to share it with their neighbor or their friend or take people with them there, it has to be really good. I agree. So that's the ultimate compliment to get people coming in saying that. It is. Very nice. Now, on your opening of the restaurant you've just just opened within the past quarter, um, Chickadee's. Is there some resources that you have found helpful maybe within your community um, to kind of get the business off the ground? Anything that maybe would, would be a resource for other people as well?
1: Sure. Well, you know, you're, you're – number one, when you're opening and building the restaurant or, or even doing legwork, just getting through some red tape, you're going to interact with a lot of people within the you know city um, offices. You'll interact with a lot of – inspectors you'll interact with a lot of people mm-hmm. who have you know lived in an area for 15 20 years. So I think right. they're the first resource you have is to say hey you've been around here for you know 10 years 12 years 15 years the fire marshal has seen every single business come and go. You know what have uh-huh. you found you know, really worked around here? Um, ah. What are some of the other places that are still in business? You know what's their success and and they'll tell uh-huh. you they're friendly, they recognize their locals, they've been consistent. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you always know what you're going to get when you go there. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll say, you know, well, well, who didn't make it? You know, what are some of the business? Well, you know, there was a guy down the street and they opened a restaurant up. But, you know, nobody wanted to eat, you know, Cajun food uh, out there. Uh-huh. You know, there was another gas station, but, you know, he never had um, anyone come out and say hello. So, you know, those those yeah. the first line of the people that you... That live in the community. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a big Ken Blanchard fan, so I'll go back to Raven fans again. Uh You know, if you want to find out what people want, you just ask them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and say, you know, what is it that has worked and what do you like and what do you not. So I'd say that's the first resource. And then, second resource, particularly in Irma, South Carolina, was their Chamber of Commerce. In a big city, the Chamber of Commerce will generally get to be so large that you can almost get lost in it. Um, Okay. But a smaller town chamber of commerce is an extremely closely woven group of individuals who will Mm. not only send you business because they want you to succeed, but they're hoping you send them business as well. And you know, I've got uh, I've got a catering tomorrow for the chamber of commerce that I was invited to do. Um, And you know, specifically because we've tried to engage and, and interact with them as much as possible. Um, so I think those are probably locally two really good resources that any business would wanna would wanna tap into. Who's lived there the longest? that's helping you open your business as far as an inspector mm-hmm. or an official. And then number two, get into the people that already own businesses and see how you can fit in and, and do what they're doing.
0: Those are both very great pieces of advice, and I know that you know most of the people that have been in an area long enough and like you say have have they they're in these restaurants and these businesses every single day. Um, you don't have to. It's not like you have to work to pry this information out of them. If you just ask, most of the time they will kind of be so honored that they're they're perceived as the expert that they'll give you way more information than you thought they might even know. Absolutely. And uh, we would be crazy not to take their not to take their little <laughs> hints right. and their little tips and use it however you need to. So. Um, Jeff, we don't always like to focus on a lot of negativity or anything like that because we know that so much is going on positively with local businesses. But um, have you had some failures along the way that maybe you could share specific lessons from that maybe would be something other business owners could learn from?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, you don't – there's nobody uh, or generally nobody that hasn't made a huge mistake in their life as an entrepreneur, um, whether it cost them an entire business, whether it cost them a, you know, a a bunch of money, whether it cost them a relationship, whether it cost them, you know, a spouse or, or, you know, God forbid a life. Um, you know, there's, I think every entrepreneur has run into failures. Um, I think if I could say of of the many failures I've had and, and less tough lessons learned that stick out the most, um, would be to really have The ability and discipline to look at an opportunity, in my case a restaurant, Mm -hmm. um, from – look at it through the business lens. Look at it through the financial prism that helps you examine the decision. Does this make sense financially? Can this be profitable? Don't look at it as in, oh, I really want to open that restaurant because it could probably be so amazing and so cool and people would love it and it would be so great. What a great location. It would be beautiful. Because I made that mistake on my fourth restaurant. I saw the space. It was way too expensive in rent. It was way Mm. too far off the beaten path. But it was a beautiful building in a gated community. And in in my... mind's eye it would be you know well received by the community that all the rich people that live in the community would eat there every day and it would be you know successful and profitable and you know and all just you know um you know roses
0: mm-hmm. and as it
1: turned out because i wanted it so badly i failed to truly examine the financial demographics of the of the area and mm-hmm. you know I, I was looking at net incomes and family incomes and, you know, household incomes and didn't look at any of the debt service ratios, you know, only to find out that families uh, that were earning $150,000 a year, you know, their disposable income went to pay all their, is all debt service. I mean, they had it parked uh, in their cars and they were in their houses, so they didn't have the income, you know, to go out and eat, even though they had nice right. things they didn't have the, you know, the, the, what they call it, being house poor. So right. as we started to look at our comment cards and see where people were coming from, we noticed that 70% of our business was driving from a zip code that was six miles away at its closest point. So wow. we had people traveling to try the new restaurant because everybody does, but in right. the end it was inconvenient to drive that far with it being mm. the only thing there. And we weren't a special occasion restaurant, so it wasn't like we could afford to have once a year regulars like I had it saluted. You know, I was (laughs) uh, I was depending on you know repeat guests, and because I wanted to see that restaurant up and running more so than I wanted it to be profitable and make a good decision, you know, I suffered an epic financial failure because of that. And I think the lesson that I took away from that is as I opened Chickadee's, I looked at 17 locations to put Chickadee's in uh, with 16 different agents. I think only one agent showed me twice. (laughs) And um, and there were so many, you know, I can see it in my mind's eye. Oh, it'd be so beautiful here. I can see it. I can see the waitresses working. I can see the food coming out. (laughs) I can see the guests being happy. You know, and then taking a step back and looking at it financially. And one of my favorite buildings was in a town that only had 350 people registered that lived there. Wow. You know, so that wasn't going to work. And and I Mm -hmm. feel like I learned that lesson uh, by exercising those muscles, you know, that were built through that catastrophic uh, failure um, that I went through. And, uh, And if I could help anyone avoid that by saying, look, Walk away from it if it doesn't yeah. make financial sense, which you think uh-huh. would be a basic principle. Um, right. You know, it, uh, it you'll lose on it every single time.
0: You know, I that taking the emotion or the emotional attachment out of it. For whatever reason, we do not have the ability to see that that is coloring our decisions when we're in the thick of the decision-making process. It's only it's only that hindsight, you know, after we've had the bump in the road, that many times goes makes us go back and look at it and say, "Wait a minute,
1: mm-hmm. I can't
0: believe I didn't see this before." You know, it all makes perfect sense after that. Always does. It is hard it's not just hard in business. I mean, it's hard in anything, you know, people do it with buying houses or buying cars or, you know, whatever they're, they're looking through their emotional eyes instead of the, the business eyes. So I think we're all susceptible. You're not the only one by any stretch. So now for chickadees, are you using any particular um, marketing strategies that are working for you right now?
1: Absolutely. So, um, as far as the marketing strategy goes, and this is uh, this is something I learned from a, a restaurant marketing guy, uh, you know, uh, his name is Rory Fatt, um, and okay. he's been around for a long time. And he has a lot of these, you know, sort of online courses and seminars and things like that. But it's it's driven by the fact that you are to build your guest database. Um, everybody who comes to their door, you capture their name, you capture their, um, you capture their name, you capture their address and you capture everything you need to know about them um, mm-hmm. so you can mail them or email them or market them or keep them in touch with your restaurant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you examine that information for how old they are, where they're coming from, so you can choose what venues you want to market to. If I, if I initially opened Chickadee thinking that the 25- to 30-year-old single males are going to come in only to find mm-hmm. out that most of my customers live 20 miles away and are 65 years old, then I don't need oh. to spend money in the free times advertising. I need to go after right. the Lake Murray magazine. Um,
0: Absolutely. So
1: that's, I think, uh, I think that our marketing strategy as opposed to, you know, just the experience and word of mouth advertising, if you will, the marketing strategy seeks to cultivate uh, the customers that have already come through the door and retain mm-hmm. them rather than go try to find new ones every single day. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I think that's a little bit – of an anomaly for a restaurant to be focused on building their database, and and I think I mean I think that is absolutely brilliant, and that's a great strategy. It's just that I think the restaurant business model so many times doesn't really lend itself very naturally to doing that. You know, you have to you have to make it a point in order to get that information. It's a discipline that you
1: have to make a priority, um, and it's not as simple as we'd like to think it is. Hey, text chick to. You know, 2514 yeah. whatever and be part of our <laughs> yeah. mailing list or right. just, hey sign up here for our emails you know um, yeah it's not that simple it'd be nice if it were um, yeah but it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of effort
0: well and then but but even then how valuable is it to be able to have that data to actually mine for information um, about anything that you're going to do with your restaurant I mean I think that is that is so good and I think so many um, so many businesses are naturally built on being able to get the information from the from the very first visit but are. restaurants typically are not and I think it's great that you're doing that and being able to to try to build some user engagement you know with what database you're starting to build so that's that's great now have you and this is not just the question that would relate to chickadees but even in your other businesses um I like to find out whether the business owners I've talked to have used or have any experience with a daily deal site like a Groupon or Living Social or even Amazon Local. Have you you dealt with any of those in the past?
1: Oh, absolutely. So we we launched with Groupon. Um, Okay. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about Groupon, and and I would say this, you know, I said this to my account rep, you know, very clearly. um, Right. You know, and I said it to the second account rep that they sent me to. Um, Groupon for an entrepreneur or for any business, it can be very valuable and it can also Mm -hmm. be very dangerous. Um, Mm -hmm. so you have to really understand and work the program. It's not as easy as it may be presented. Um, there are some definite pitfalls with it that you have to, you have to be careful of. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess one of the biggest examples, the way a Groupon works for an entrepreneur. Let's, let's not talk about it from the customer standpoint. Let's talk about it from the okay.
0: entrepreneur standpoint. absolutely. So um,
1: Groupon has a, you know, a database of hundreds of thousands of people all over the country that religiously every day get a Groupon offer in their email that says, hey, here's a deal for you. What would normally cost you $100 will only cost you $50. Okay. Um, and so they say, great, that sounds great, I'll sign up. Um, so Groupon calls into a restaurant in this example, but it could be a movie theater, it could be a, a you know a, a gift shop, it could be anything. Right, right. But in the mm-hmm. restaurant, they say, "Listen, we would like to sell a twenty dollars gift certificate to your to people who sign up to us. We would mm-hmm. like to sell a twenty dollars gift certificate to your restaurant to our buyers for ten dollars.
0: Okay, um,
1: and we can sell." thousand gift certificates for you. Um, wow. And we will give you of the $10 that we take in, we will give you $5. And we're going <laughs> to sell these thousand dollars, we're going to sell these thousand certificates over the course of 72 hours, three days.
0: Wow. And
1: we're going to start on Monday, we'll close the sale on Wednesday, and by Friday, I'll have a check in the mail to you for $5,000.
0: Okay.
1: And As an entrepreneur, you think, man, I'd love $5,000 this coming Friday.
0: Cash flow, right. great,
1: sign me up. So you sign up. They sell the 1,000 gift certificates. They mail you the $5,000 check, and you say, wow, this is great. I'm going to go ahead and put in that new air conditioner that I always wanted for my office. (laughs) But now you've got to service $20,000 worth of sales coming into your restaurant that's out on the street people are going to redeem 20 grand worth of, of of you know gift certificates
0: product yeah that you
1: have to have the product in-house for that you have to have the labor to cook and mm-hmm. that you won't see any money for when they come in because most of the people that buy a groupon spend twenty dollars and 10 cents they, they, they order two10 dollar entrees and two glasses of water and uh-huh. you know that they use the full value and that's Absolutely. great so what we so you know the way we turn that into a positive is we want those people's mailing information if these are people who respond to deals then we'll mail them our okay. own deal and say hey here's that a buy one and get one half off and they'll say great we'll come back so our goal is to get Absolutely. their information but okay. if you don't do that if you don't fund those sales um, with the money that they give you and say, hey, look, we need to spend this $5,000 to support the $20,000 worth of business that's about to come through the door, mm-hmm. then you are trying to – you essentially have to come up with your own $10,000 to service that, that sales, and it's, people can't do it. Um, yeah. And imagine that's only a 1,000 certificates. They have the ability to sell 5000 in 72 hours. Wow. You're gonna get a ten thousand dollar check five days from now, but you've gotta pay for fifty thousand dollars worth of business with that and that's impossible at, at typical margins. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you have yeah. to be you have to be dedicated and disciplined enough to, to use that as a marketing program and count that in your budget. Because it ultimately uh-huh. is not five thousand free dollars.
0: <laughs> right. And that's and that's good advice too, that even if you're if you're going to essentially give your product away at a loss. Is what you're doing with the Groupon that you've also got to get something back in return for that. And for you, it's building your database absolutely and saying, and next time you're not going to go through Groupon for any deals. You're coming We're coming right to you because we now we've now got the connection instead of Groupon. Right. You now become Chickadee's customer rather than Groupon's customer. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we talked about that because I think you know people have different. Um, Experiences with these um, deal sites, and you know, like you said, you have mixed emotions about it because uh, you also know that you can lose a lot as well as gain some. And I think they
1: will. I won't. I won't take the credit away from them. They will drive people through the door, uh, with with no doubt. Mm -hmm. No doubt, you can count on it. They're coming as soon as you go on sale. What you do with them when they come is, is I think where the secret is.
0: That's that's true, and, and force them through your process, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Because if you don't, then you know you can think, "Oh, it's just a group on person. They're just going to come in once and never going to get back." If you don't force them through your process, they won't become your customer for Agreed. here now. Very good point. Um, Now, I am sure that you are doing a lot to get that repeat business and and that sort of thing. So are you having any specific strategies working for you for customer retention? I mean, have you started using your database or your... Uh, information in any way at this point
1: absolutely so we have a a great system called Harbor touch it's a it's a a point-of-sale system credit card processing things like that I've been very pleased with Uh them and it has a built-in loyalty program to where you can you know very easily take name the the comment card with their name and number Sally and Bob Smith they live at 123 Happy Street in Irmo South Carolina And you just type that into the computer, you know, when you're doing their credit card or when they're paying their bill, and you assign it to their Mm -hmm. check, and you give them a little swipey card, just like when you go to the grocery store. And then every time they come back, they say, Oh, here's my card. You know, will you go ahead and swipe it? And you swipe it, and according to what you've got assigned to what they bought, they get some points, and it accumulates Mm -hmm. in an account automatically, and then they can, you know, cash those points in at whatever ratios you want to cash them in at. And those are amazing amazing tools, because if your menu mix doesn't change, and Bob and Sally Smith come on any sort of regular basis, you can mm-hmm. see how their buying habits are changing through the time of year, maybe the weather, maybe the day of the week, they spend mm-hmm. more on a Monday than they would on a Thursday, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just invaluable if, if you can find, as an entrepreneur in any business, if you can find a way to capture who comes through your door and what they're spending their money on, like the grocery stores do, you will, you will have a plethora of information to make some marketing decisions
0: with. Wow that is that is great information and and you were saying that that is that is part of the the POS system that mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. Excellent okay so that's something that people need to consider uh, what they want to do with information whenever they look at all connecting these systems and sure. that sort of thing together for their businesses. Excellent now as far as chickadees goes what Performance metrics. Are you measuring right now for that restaurant, and why do you feel like those specific metrics are real important to you?
1: Well, of course, restaurant business has a, a ton of you know different variables and
0: mm-hmm. key
1: performance indicators that you want to look at at any given moment. So you know, and from slim cost,
0: margins, slim
1: <laughs> margins, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what we're looking at now um, to help us decide. Um, um, how to operate is our hourly sales. Um, We're open 7 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night, seven days a week. So we're looking for what hours of the day on what days of the week are typically the busiest in terms of sales volume. Um, And then try to connect that to the why. Why every Tuesday from noon until 2, is it slow? Yet at 2 o'clock, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we put up, you know, a $200 hour. Um, right. Why do we open at 7 o'clock in the morning and there's no business until 8 o'clock in the morning? Are we missing mm-hmm. breakfast? Are we opening too early for breakfast? You know, wh- why, okay. why is that hour typically dead? So for us right now, measuring the hourly sales is our number one indicator on how we're going to adjust our staffing levels, our pricing structures our promotions as far as you know do we have a door buster special to you know promote seven o'clock to eight o'clock do we open at six instead of seven should we look at closing until nine you know where where, all this information we have we gather based on our hourly sales
0: wow and that does make a i mean it definitely makes a lot of sense but Even just the way you're using that information is not just whether we had a good hour or a bad hour. You know, it's looking at the whys behind that and then adjusting to try to make sure that the hours of the day you do have somehow level out or you know peak as you want as you want them to. You know, not necessarily um, the way they have been, just because that's the way your hours lay out you're opening and closing I mean you don't even sometimes think as a customer that there's any rhyme or reason to it you think ah, oh, they must be an early bird if they open at 6 a.m. you yeah. know but not necessarily the case sometimes <laughs> so it's interesting to hear it from the uh, business owners perspective now are you using any sort of social media in your business and what are you doing and how's that working for absolutely. you
1: absolutely so um, you know I'm creeping past Thirty-nine, almost forty years old, and Facebook to me is the only thing social media exists. It's either Facebook or nothing.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: Fortunately, I have a lot of the millennials working for me that have helped me understand uh, the variety of social media that's out there and the different Uh things that are on it. But so we um, we have really embraced the social media for um, pictures um, of the food that we're serving and who is working in our store at the moment. So okay. um, our, our Chickadee's girls are as big a part of our, our marketing model as the food that we serve. So we'll take a picture okay. using Instagram of, you know, let's say Alex, who's working today, and she's holding up a big plate of chicken and waffles back in the kitchen. And we use Instagram to say, hey, come see Alex today. Looks like chicken and waffles are on the menu and then we okay. tag our Twitter account, our Facebook account, our Foursquare account, our Tumblr account, and our Flickr account with that one post to where across Excellent. the web, five sites blow up with that post. And okay. we, use, we use the hashtags chickadees, uh, chick food. Chick food is a big mm-hmm. one for us because we do a lot of food, um, and sort of tailor it to our 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 name. And mm-hmm. then we start to create that online presence which then search engines start to pick up on your posts, and people repost and tag. Right. Um, and in, in three short months, I have our, our our chickadee girls, you know, going to the to the mall on their day off, and someone stops them and says, hey, aren't you the one that, that always is showing the pictures of you in the mimosas? <laughs> you know, oh, we want to come visit there. You know, that's we're, we're a small little restaurant, but that's the reach that social media will get you. It's, it's And it's free. It doesn't cost a dime except a little yeah. bit knowledge.
0: Yeah, and, and being able to make it, like you just said, using that one vehicle to then tag all the other ones along the way, you've just streamlined your processes and made it not quite so cumbersome to keep up with seven different social media channels. Yeah, and
1: it'll, it'll take you out of your entire day if you let it. So you've got to find yeah. – uh, I think someone has to find a quick and easy way to make it work.
0: Well, and, you know, there's a whole lot of um, data just even within, like, Facebook and, and those – you know, the other social media platforms about the different um, levels of engagement that you have with images versus just text, Mm -hmm. you know, posts. And so I think that's brilliant that you're using, you know, you're using people that that you're going to see when you go in the restaurant so people can relate to. And uh, food is something that gets shared very, very often anyway, um, just on Facebook and Instagram and all that. So, you know, combining those two things, in an image is um, statistically going to get you a pretty good result on that. So kudos to you for doing that. So uh, Jeff, what is the favorite tool that you have in the day-to-day running of your business? I know you do a lot of analysis and stuff like that, just based on all the stuff that we've talked about earlier, but what's your favorite tool? Well,
1: there's a lot, you know, if you're talking about intellectual or, or, you know, if you're talking about physical or talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. my knife is my favorite thing, but, I, you know, I was the avid Blackberry, uh, what do they call it? The the crackberry crackhead.
0: Yes, the crackberry, right. <laughs> Ever since it
1: was ever since it was invented. I had the very first one that you could, you know, two way message and then I had the yeah. track wheel one and I had the it color and then you know I've had every model since then and, and I finally bought the last model and um and it just it couldn't unfortunately do what the iPhone does. And so about sixty days ago I broke down, and, and sadly parted ways with my BlackBerry. And, um, and I, I used to curse the iPhone and say it was the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, and it's <laughs> stupid, and the email is slow, and it's dumb, and what do you need all those apps for? You know, why can't you just send me an email? And right. I have to tell you, there's nothing that an iPhone won't do for an entrepreneur, whatever business you're in. In the restaurant business, all of my financials, all of my banking, all of my metrics, all of my HR, all of my marketing, wow. all of my everything is at my fingertips no matter where I go. I can watch the restaurant over webcams from my phone when I'm down here in Charleston. Oh, awesome. So if, if I can turn into a fan of an iPhone because of the functionality of it, not just to play you know um, uh, you
0: know games on, um, but actually right, to actually, right,
1: right. To actually um, you know be productive on, that that's, that's mm-hmm. where it's at.
0: Wow, that's that's great to know, and it's good to see um, people using all the business apps and things like that built into the iPhone technology. Because um, a lot, you know, there's there's a lot of cool things it'll do that that aren't going to help your productivity or your revenues at all. Yeah. But there are so many things that you can do with it. That you're right, it's like it's like having almost like a a remote into your business. You yeah, know, whether exactly. you can see your numbers and you can see everything that's going on and all of it's in real time, so it's really, it's truly um, technology at its best for sure. Now, Jeff, one of the things that we like to ask to all of the business owners that we talk to is um, a, a special question that is just a niche finder question for people that are out there trying to find a niche into a local business in their area. So my question to you is, are there holes in the market that you've identified that uh, might be a product or a service that you have not been able to find locally, but you would love to be able to source it locally. Um,
1: you know, you have access, you know, to the whole country as far as anything people can do for you—marketing, advertising.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you have access to all local farmers and things like that. I think if there was anything that I could that I could wish I had that was available locally, would be a, uh, you know, somebody that was in marketing. That was already tied into the community that 4AC can help plug you in, similar to a PR firm, but okay. more of one that will, or one that can plug you in very locally, not just a buy, not just an ad buy agency,
0: mm-hmm. um, but a, but
1: a true, a true, um, a truly locally connected person who markets themselves as, "Hey, I can tie you in." That gotcha. was at a rate or some sort of affordable. You know, a lobbyist will cost you a thousand dollars an
0: hour. Well, I'll have it right,
1: right. Um, so if I, you know, if there was someone that really focused on local marketing with true grassroots connections, I feel like I'd love to engage a person like
0: that. Interesting. That's a very interesting concept. And you know, there are people out there that are well connected in their communities, and not just that, but if you're not well connected, you could be the next well connected person, depending on how you utilize your time. Mm-hmm. So very interesting thought on that. Now. As a parting piece of advice, can you give us a piece of wisdom that maybe you know now that you didn't know when you started out, and you really wish someone would have told you?
1: Um, yeah, you know, I think going back to um, to dismissing your your ego in the in the financial mm-hmm. process, um, wanting to start a business for the right reasons, and the right reason in starting a business being to make it profitable. I think a lot uh-huh. of people that wish they like to go out to eat, open a restaurant. I think a lot of people that like to buy shoes, open a shoe store. I think a lot of people that like to go fishing open up a fishing camp. And Uh the the passion for what, you know, food is um, can't drive someone's decision to run or operate a successful restaurant. Any more than someone's passion for fishing can make them a good charter boat captain.
0: Um, (laughs) And
1: I think discerning, you know, I learned that lesson when I went to my hotel internship. I thought I wanted to be a hotel general manager someday. Oh, okay. I, spent my, I spent my internship for nine weeks at the Radisson, and I left saying, well, the hell with that. I'm not going to be a, <laughs> a hotel restaurant entrepreneur. This is the worst thing in the world. Um, wow. So uh, so it was um, – You know, it, that was something I had to be exposed to. Just because I like to stay in hotels didn't mean yeah. I was going to be able to work in
0: one. Absolutely good 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 advice there because it it is it that is something it's hard to separate yourself from that emotional I like to do it therefore it would be a great fit for me and it's not always so Well, you have been absolutely fantastic sharing with us so many things and lessons that you've learned along the way. And, um, you know, just the advice that you've you've been given that you've now been able to share with other people has been, I know what will be invaluable for many people that are listening. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to promote anything going on with Chickadees um, right now that maybe our listeners need to know about. So what have you got going on? I really
1: appreciate that. I I think that um, our model is – Is most exciting because we're one of the only venues in the city that serves breakfast all day, and and more to the point, we serve our whole menu all day. So a lot of places you'll find, well, we serve breakfast from eight to ten, lunch from ten to two, and dinner from two to close. Um, We have a a power plant out by us um, uh, that's being built, one in the nation that's uh, the first attempt to build two towers at once uh, by Siemens and SCDMG and and uh, uh, Westinghouse Power, and it's uh, and it's an amazing project. It's ten years long, and the world's biggest crane is in South Carolina. It's just amazing. Wow! And those guys get off to of work at seven o'clock in the morning. And they come see us because it's fun, and they can go hang out because their seven a.m. As everyone else is everyone else's five p.m. So I've got gotcha. people at our bar drinking beer, eating cheeseburgers at seven thirty in the morning,
0: <laughs> and I have
1: the people that are going into eat, you know, going into work that night at seven o'clock, coming in, and you know, they just woke up at six p.m. Breakfast. and they come in and eat an omelet and you know, get some pancakes, and then they head into work. So,
0: wow. you know, I think
1: I think us being able to serve the whole menu all day. Uh, it's probably the most exciting thing we have going on
0: for us right now. Well, I will tell you this a friend of mine, just not to disagree with you, she believes that the bottomless mimosas are one of the. Uh, <laughs> well, the that's activity.
1: good too. Unlimited champagne, for 10 bu- champagne and oranges for $10 is always a crowd pleaser. Our
0: yeah, restaurant,
1: Charleston Hospitality Group, operates down in Toast, was the originator of that. Um, they serve funny. mimosas on Meeting Street, all you can drink, and that is a great time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that was one of the high points on that one. So, Now, um, Jeff, what I'm going to do in the show notes and everything, I'm going to link up to all the resources that you've mentioned in this interview today and also where people can find you online. So we want to be able to, for people, just go right to your website and Facebook and all that sort of thing. So where can we find you online?
1: Uh, start with chickadeesdiner.com, www.chickadeesdiner.com. And all of our links are at the bottom of the page for Facebook and Instagram, and, and you can sort of find us through. there. We've just opened yeah, up actually. a Vine account for showing online cooking. And oh, uh, yeah. as well, you can go on to any of the travel sites. You know, we don't always get the best reviews. I wish we always got 100 great reviews. We've got people that yeah. don't like our – you know, we've got people that love our food and love our diner. We have people that, you know, maybe they don't like – the fact that we're a little bit more casual and a little bit more fun, mm-hmm. and then they were looking for something a little more serious. And that's okay because, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to review what they want to review. But we're on Yelp, TripAdvisor, Urban Spoon, uh, and Facebook Review as well.
0: Perfect. Well, we will link up to all those resources so that people can find you and know where to come see you so that they can, whenever they're coming through the area or if they're in the area, they can make a trip out and see you guys at Chickadee's Diner. Jeff, I cannot thank you enough for the time that you spent with us today and all that you've shared with us. You've given us. Just way more than an hour's worth of value out of this uh, this interview today, and I, it has been a pleasure for me. So I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Localist, I need your help. If you've appreciated this podcast today, I need you to go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, tell us what you think about the podcast. It is so important for us to expand our reach to be able to have those iTunes ratings and reviews. That way... Other people can find us much easier whenever they're looking for things about local brick and mortar businesses. So go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. You cannot imagine how important it is to us. You can find show notes to everything we discussed in this podcast on our website, so go there. It's www.brickandmortarreporter.com. You can see all the links to anything we discussed, and also you can leave us any comments or any questions that you have. It's the best way to get in touch with us. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.